The Bible is full of people who took risks. Can you think of any people who took risks in the Bible? Don't shout them out. Noah, massive risk. Abraham, Moses, Peter, Jonah, David, John the Baptist, Paul. We could go on and on and on, couldn't we? Loads and loads of people because faith in God involves risk. But you know, life involves risk, doesn't it? We're risking sitting on chairs at the moment that this doesn't happen to you in the middle of the service. It's risky business listening to somebody speak in church because this may happen to you. (laughs) You may start to snore inadvertently or worse, you may dribble on the person next to you. It's a risk. Life is full of risks. There was a study that a university in New York did And it looked at relative risks, comparing them to living in New York for two days. Apparently, living in New York for two days is quite risky. There's the risk of accidents, there's the risk of pollution, all kinds of other things. So these are all comparative to the risk of living in New York. Eating 40 tablespoons of peanut butter. Anyone fancy that, Darren? No? He's probably full on his donuts. Having 30 cans of Diet Coke. That'd be disgusting, wouldn't it? 30 cans. I think you have to drink them sort of one after the other to have the same kind of risk. The next one, travelling by a canoe for six miles. That's the Manchester Ship Canal, just in case you were wondering. (laughs) I'm not sure whether it means travelling on a canoe like that or like that. I don't fancy doing that one. Or spending three hours in a coal mine. Why you'd... Just go and do that. You might I suppose you might go on a tour down one of these mines and go down for three hours or so. That is the same risk. All those risks are the same. Because life is full of risks. Life is full of risks. Nicodemus, the man that we heard about in the reading earlier on, you might want to have your Bibles actually open again, just so we can keep referring to it. It's page 1006, just in case you've, you've shut the copy of the church Bible. He's an important man. In verse 10, he is called Israel's teacher. And the way that that is worded in the original suggests that actually he may have been the top teacher in Israel. He's like the person who should have been able to explain the scriptures, the Old Testament, to everybody else. He should have got it in terms of what relationship with God meant and what God was looking for in people. He's also a Pharisee. This means he would have been um, really keen on keeping the law, keeping the full law, about um, trying to do everything the way that the Old Testament law talked about. He's also a member of the Jewish council. So he's a ruler. So he's really, really important as a person. Look what he says in verse 2. He comes to see Jesus at night. Why does he do that? Well, John doesn't tell us, but I think we can probably make the assumption that he's fearful. He doesn't want people to see him going to see Jesus. He doesn't want to be on show. But even so, he's taking a massive risk. Just in case somebody saw that he was going to talk to Jesus. And when he's there talking to Jesus, look what he does. He takes more risks. He calls him rabbi. Anyone tell me what rabbi means? Any of the younger people? Teacher. Rabbi means teacher. So here is this really important Jewish teacher going to Jesus, who sort of has not gone through all the right channels to be an important Jewish teacher, and calling him teacher a risk, giving Jesus that status and that dignity by calling him teacher, showing him respect. And he says, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, 
For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Another risk is attributing everything Jesus has done to God. So he's basically saying, you're talking stuff that I need to be listening to because it's coming from God. But actually at this point, all he's really doing is stating the obvious. You know, like if, if you go around, say, somebody's house and they cook you a meal and they come out of the kitchen with a meal and you say, you've cooked me a meal. There's no risk involved at that point. You're just stating the obvious. It's only when you go and you cut into it and you see if that chicken has actually been cooked that you're taking the risk. At the moment, I think Nicodemus is just stating the obvious. But he starts to ask questions. He starts to ask questions to Jesus. And Nicodemus, as a Jewish teacher, would have known all about the Lord, have known all the things that people should have been doing. But what Jesus does in his answer is he blows everything apart. He gets rid of all Nicodemus's preconceptions. He says, basically, if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, if you want to be part of what God is doing, hello, <laughs> if you want to be part of everything that God is doing, if you want to be saved, then it's not an external change that you need, but it's a heart change. If you ask Timothy and Nathaniel um, about my footballing skills, they're not particularly positive <laughs> about them. Thanks, Nathaniel, for that vote of encouragement. Who do you normally want? If you're playing football, do you want me or your mum to go and play with you? Yeah, you want your mum, don't you? She's much better at football than I am. I was somewhere else while football um, skills were being distributed. I don't know where I was, but I certainly wasn't in the queue for them. But supposing I thought, you know, I want to be like this. Does anyone want to be like Wayne Rooney, or is, it, is he too old? Is he a bit of a has-been now? I don't know. Leicester. Yeah. Would anybody like to be like Wayne Rooney? No? That's a bit disappointing, because I thought I should be quite nice to be like that. You know, to be skilled, to be able to score goals, to be able to, to look the part, to be able to afford a hair transplant, you know, for all these different things. But, you know, I could do all the external stuff. I could become like this. <laughs> That is absolutely hideous. <laughs> it's really disturbing. Would that have changed my ability to play football? Would that have done anything to me other than make me look absolutely ridiculous? I'm going to get rid of that. It's too disturbing. It doesn't change the externals, does it? It doesn't give me the ability to play football. It doesn't give me the skills that I would need. It just makes me look worse, hopefully. It just makes me look rather different. So Jesus talks about, actually, what is needed is to be born again. If you want to be in God's kingdom, if you want to be saved, if you want to go to a life of eternity with Jesus, you need to be born again. But verse 9, Nicodemus doesn't get it. Look at verse 9. How can this be? Do you know, I think actually there he's taking another risk. It's a massive risk saying, I don't understand. It's a big risk to actually say, I'm not sure what is going on. It's a big risk if, you, if you're there and you're the main teacher and you say, what is all this about? But you know, he should have known. He should have known what um, Jesus was talking about when he was talking about being um, cleaned with water and being filled with the Spirit. Because this is in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 26. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He should have got that. 
but he didn't. And so he takes the risk of asking the question, what's this all about, Jesus? What's it all about? I'm not sure that I get it. I'm not sure that I understand. You know, actually, that is not a bad place to be. It's not a bad place to be in the place of actually putting your hand on your heart and saying, I don't really get this, Lord. I'm not sure what this is about. And I've known people who've, you know, they've sat in church for years and years and years and heard really good teaching, yet it's, the penny hasn't quite dropped. You know, if that's you this morning, if you're thinking, I'm not quite sure what all this stuff is about, that's actually a good place to be. But come and find the answers. You know, come and talk to me, talk to one of the leaders, get involved in a small group. Go searching out for those answers because Jesus has answered these questions. And this is what we find here. Because it's only through being honest and taking the risk that Nicodemus hears that most amazing answer that John spoke about before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What does Nicodemus do next? Anybody tell me from that passage? It's a bit of a trick question. We don't know. We don't know how he responds. John is a brilliant writer, and the way he puts his gospel together, he leaves things hanging so that we're left wondering, what happened to Nicodemus? But then John is even more clever because he brings him in later on, and we get two more glimpses of Nicodemus coming up later on in John's gospel. Look at this from John chapter 7, verses 50 to 52. See, Nicodemus now, he's meeting with other Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders are full of unbelief. They're not um, getting who Jesus is. They don't want to be part of what he's doing, and he says this. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come from Galilee. They're trying to persuade Nicodemus that actually Jesus isn't the Messiah, basically. That's what's going on here. But have you noticed how Nicodemus is just prepared to put his head a little bit above the parapet and say, actually, we need to look into this man. We need to treat him properly. Can anyone tell me where he next appears, where Nicodemus next appears in John's Gospel? After the crucifixion. You can have a free donut afterwards. (laughs) Here we go. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night and also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about a hundred pounds weight. You know what that's to do with? That's to do with the burial of Jesus. Nicodemus is with Joseph of Arimathea preparing Jesus' body for burial. He's taking another massive risk. He's now there being associated fully with Jesus who has been crucified but has not yet been raised from the dead. Had he responded to John chapter 3? We don't know. We cannot answer that. John doesn't tell us enough information. But what we do see It's pictures into his life that says this is a man who's prepared to take risks for Jesus. And it left me with quite a few questions, actually. Are you a risk taker this morning? Are you a risk taker in your faith with Jesus? First of all, are you going to take the risk, if you haven't done already, of believing what John was talking about earlier, about the heart of the gospel, about Jesus who has come into the world to bring salvation? Massive risk. Stepping out in faith, believing that Jesus is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. Another risk 
the risk of asking questions. We take that risk, if you don't understand anything, to say, actually, Lord, I'm not sure what this means. The risk of standing out for Jesus. Nicodemus, in that meeting of the Jewish leaders, put his head above the parapet and said, I'm standing out at this point. I'm saying something different than everybody else is saying. You know, in your school life, in your college life, in your work life, with your family, if you're following Jesus, will you stand up and be counted amongst his followers? Will you take that risk? As a church, you know, we've got some exciting conversations coming up over the next few weeks and months as we look to the future. As a church, will we be bold in taking risks for standing up and standing out for Jesus and leading other people to him? The risk of sharing Jesus. In our own lives, are we prepared to take that risk of talking about our faith in him? Or perhaps it's the risk of doing what God is telling you to do specifically today. You may be sat here this morning, you're thinking, actually, I know that God has called me to do something. But at the moment, I'm just staying in the background. I'm not feeling comfortable about stepping out. Would you take that risk this morning to be obedient to God's voice? Risk-taking is part of following Jesus. Will we be risk-takers today? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to pray that you'll give us great confidence in the gospel. I want to pray that you'll help us to be those risk-takers, those people who prepare to step out and be obedient to you. So wherever we find ourselves today, help us to respond to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.